Our passage is in Hebrews 4, in verse 12. And I'm going to read it. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, the great evangelist D.L. Moody, and you know he's the one who started the famous um, Moody Bible Institute, and was involved in revivals in his travels. He talks about a time earlier in his Christian life, in his younger years, where he was always praying to the Lord for greater faith, greater manifestations of faith. And he describes that time of life as being dry, and he said that even though he was praying for faith, he just didn't seem like he was getting that greater faith until one day he had a breakthrough. And this is what he said about that experience. Quote, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. One day, I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study and faith has been growing ever since. End quote. Well, a couple of sermons ago in November last month, um, you possibly remember that I did a sermon on the power of prayer in the believer's life. Uh, and having given us an exhortation to be in prayer, I found it fitting to base today's New Year's Eve sermon on the second important duty in the Christian life, and that is the power of God's Word in the believer's life. In prayer, we speak to God in the relationship. And it should be regular. That was the point I made. And when we're in the Word, God is speaking to us in the relationship. And it ought to be regular as well. And so today I've titled my sermon, A Call to Hear God. A Call to Hear God. And that's really the point of this verse we're going to be looking at. It is a call to hear the living God. And that's the simple exhortation that I want us to have as we look to the new year, as we look to the time that's ahead of us each day, that each of us would take time each and every day to hear from our God. Now, of course, I don't mean that we're going to be waiting for an audible voice or some mystical weird stuff where you're just looking deep within and hearing an inner voice. That's not what we mean by hearing from God. I'm talking about reading His Word in the Scriptures where His voice has been revealed. This is what we hold to as evangelical Christians. We hold that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is the Word of God to His people. And it's one of those things that I know we affirm. I know we would all affirm if we were asked if the Bible is the Word of God, we would say yes. And we hold to that as a confession. And we would even contend for it if someone told us different. But the real question is this, just like anything in the Christian life, does belief translate to practice? Do we treat it like it really is the words of God to us? 
Do we treat our Bible like it's more of an informative religious book that sits on our shelf and we take it out and we learn about the Christian faith? Or do we read it with reverence and careful attention as though we were meeting with God to hear from Him? It's a probing question. And with the new year in mind, my, my goal today is really to renew our minds and, and how we approach Scripture from day to day. And what I want to draw out is from this verse just some principles about what the Word is in its essence and in its function toward us. And then at the end, I want to give some practical application for reading the Word in the coming year. So I want to make this a, an applicational, good takeaway as we're kind of looking forward. So I'm going to delve straight in. I'm going to take apart this one single verse and just mine out what we can because it's full of great things about the Word. Hebrews 4.12 tells us about the Word of God. I'm going to read it again. The author of Hebrews writes, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is a verse that is one of those popular ones that you probably mostly see isolated from its context and what's familiar to us. And so I want to pay attention to really the context of it first because it begins with that word, for. It's assuming that this is based on a prior statement that's being made. He's making a point building off of something. And so I want to sort of go back really quickly in Hebrews 4 and see what he's talking about. Why is he delving into the Word of God? The book of Hebrews is a call to those in the church to consider Jesus and to not turn back to an old way of life to hold fast to the word they had heard about Jesus. And the old way of life for the Hebrew Christians was the old covenant system. And Jesus is put forth in the book over and over as superior and the one that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to. And there are warnings scattered throughout the book. Scary warnings even about not turning back. About not refusing Christ. There's a warning to not turn back or you might manifest that maybe you never had Christ. And you will be judged by what you have learned. That's where this verse comes in. True believers, of course, can't fall away. I need to make that clarification that a a true believer perseveres to the end and they're preserved by the Spirit. And so warnings don't negate that. Uh, warnings in Scripture don't negate our perseverance. They simply cause us to examine. Because many are those who think that they're saved, but actually, they're just going through the motions. And when circumstances come up, they fall away, and the word that, of Jesus that they once heard, they leave behind. And Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. The more revelation we have, the more we will be judged accordingly. And that brings us to our passage here in Hebrews 4. It was read in our Scripture reading, and um, 
Just to sum it up, the author is exhorting his readers to not be like the Israelites of old who heard the word of God, but then they fell in the wilderness. It says they did not enter into God's rest. This is speaking of those who had to travel through the wilderness, not seeing the promised land. That's what is referred to as God's rest in that uh, temporal sense. But the author of Hebrews really pushes it and expands it bigger to God's rest, including the heavenly rest of being with God in restored fellowship. And he says that because of unbelief in the Word, they fell short of that heavenly rest. Uh, They didn't take God's words seriously. Uh, The fact is that they didn't believe and live by His words, and so they missed out on fellowship with God in His rest. And that's the thrust of verse 12. The emphasis is a call to hear God's words. It says in verse 2 that the message or, or the word they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. He goes on to make the case that God's promised rest is still offered to those even beyond that generation. For anyone who will hear and believe His words can enter that rest. And so that's where he gets at in verse 7. Verse 7, he says this, He has appointed a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today if you hear His voice, Do not harden your hearts. Notice again the theme that's here. He's setting this up for verse 12. The call is don't harden your heart in hearing His voice. The people of old heard His voice, hardened their heart, and missed out. And that brings us to verse 11. The verse right before the one we will look at which gives a sobering charge. Verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So just to sort of summarize again, what he's saying is they fell because they hardened themselves against the Word. They didn't take it seriously and they missed out. That promise of rest has remained since then the generations following And it applies to the believers in the church. He tells readers to be diligent to enter God's rest, which we know from what we just read, comes by believing and being faithful to the Word. And in verse 12, he simply describes the Word of God as the basis of his exhortation. So that's what's happening in verse 12. In other words, uh, hear God's voice and persevere in your faith Why? Because this is what the Word of God is like. That's what he's doing in verse 12. This is not any ordinary word you're hardening yourself against. This word about Jesus. Now as we get all that context, I want us to see how this relates to the written Word of Scripture. Uh, The words from God that the Israelites received were limited in their scope. They were only the the law and the commandments and the ordinances that Moses had given them. And because that's all the special special revelation they had up until that point in redemptive history. And they rebelled against that. 
But the author of Hebrews is doing something interesting. He's actually expanding upon that and extending God's words to not only include what they heard, but everything that has been revealed since, including the words that they heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. The book begins in chapter 1 by saying that God long ago spoke in various ways, and in these last times He has spoken through His Son. That's the first theme of the word that they heard. In chapter 2, the Hebrew Christians are then told to give close attention to what they heard, lest they drift from it. The word, the theme of the word continues. And then they're told, also in chapter 2, that this word from Christ was attested by those who received it, the apostles, as they proclaimed and delivered it with various signs and miracles. And so the Word of God in our text here really does refer to the Scriptures. It's the Word from Moses all the way to the present time when he's writing in the New Testament. The entirety of Scripture is the Word of God that we are not to refuse and that we are to give attention to. And just to give you one more argument that this is talking about Scripture and has it in mind, at the end of the book, in chapter 13, The author of Hebrews writes to them, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. So teachers in the church are responsible for teaching the Scriptures, and this is really what he wants them to hold fast to. So the Word of God that the author has in mind is Scripture taught and heard and presumably read. So why should you give any time to this book? Why should you, as a believer in the church in the 21st century, give attention to this book every day of your life in the new year and beyond? Why should you give attention to the Bible? Because, verse 12, it is the Word of God. And it is living and active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And you're meant to walk away from that and go, okay, I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to that word. It's from God. It's living and active. It's sharp. That's the thrust here. No pun intended with a sword. Uh, But more than that, that being the point, uh, I hope we feel the weightiness of this fact that the Bibles we hold are really a call for our souls to hear God's Word. It's God's words. Uh, Eternity is first at stake, for it contains the message of salvation. But even beyond that, it also contains the way of faithfulness, the way of perseverance. And we're to give attention to it because God is speaking. So let's dissect this verse and consider the way it describes the Word of God and then I'm going to sort of tie it to what that looks like in our Scripture reading as Christians. I see at least three aspects of God's Word in this verse. Three aspects, and these will form the three points to my sermon. Number one, just from observing this verse, the first phrase reminds us the Word of God is living. 
That's my first point based on observation. This Word of God, it is living. It's the living Word. And this is an important aspect of God's Word for us to realize as we look forward to the days of planning to meet with Him in His Word. As we approach Scripture in our lives. Because you might say amen to the fact that the Bible is God's Word and fall into a pitfall. As I was thinking about this, you could actually affirm the Bible is God's Word and fall into a major pitfall where you miss out on its power in your life. You might say, yeah, these are the divine words from God directed toward those original audiences at the time. And all we're really doing when we read it is we're just sort of observing and interpreting past words that God gave. So, so yeah, Scripture contains God's words. But it's, it's past words to His people. That's the pitfall. I'll explain why that's a pitfall. First of all, I want to say, that's not all wrong. Um, that's actually a true point. From an interpretive standpoint, yes, it is God's past words to His people. And uh, we do have to be careful about trying to incorporate our own modernization into the text and take things that it wasn't meant to say. Uh, there is a historical, grammatical context to the Word that is important for Bible study. And so, yes, if you're reading Hebrews, for example, you need to ask yourself, what were the Hebrew Christians doing? What did the, intent, the writer intend to say? What did he mean by it? That's helpful for understanding the text. That's sound exegesis. We would say amen to that. But here's the pitfall. The pitfall is, on this point, you need to be careful that you're not limiting Scripture to being merely past words in their relevance. We don't hold that Scripture was inspired by God. We hold that Scripture is inspired by God. It is inspired. The inherent relevance of its message and the power that it has toward the lives it touches transcends every time and every place and every group because it is written by not a dead author. It is written by not someone who's in the past who died and we can't correspond with him. It's written by the living God who is still present and speaks to us and touches us through the recorded Word. God's Word speaks to every generation of God's people and it can be said to be living because the Spirit who is living is working through it. The author of Hebrews says the Word of God is alive. It's the living Word. He wants to emphasize this as a point. Commentators often point out that this word living is actually placed in the original in the beginning of the sentence because that was a way to give special emphasis. He wants them to know, don't just think about the Israelites and the word they had back then. It still applies to you. And it logically proceeds that it's living because it's from God Himself. It is the Word of God that is living. And if it's the Word of God and God can't die, His Word can't die. But it will always be relevant. It will always have power. And it will always do a work. Uh, this is why reading the Word 
shouldn't just be a casual experience. It shouldn't be like any other book you pick up and read, or a magazine or a newspaper. It should have a spiritual effect on us because God is the living God. And His words impart life and awaken and revive the soul. And all who have ever held to God's Word in history, who have been mightily used by God, have been those who were specially touched by its power, its living power. Martin Luther said this about Scripture in his life. He put it this way, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Spurgeon said, this book wrestles with me. It, it takes me down sometimes. He also referred to Scripture at another place as his morning and evening chaplain. And the idea is, Scripture is a living book interacting with us because God is speaking in its pages. I want to remind us as a church that our time in the Word is time with the living God. Around New Year's, many Christians are often told about uh, different Bible reading plans that they want to maybe start, that maybe help them reform their practice of reading through the entire Bible, and there's usually some kind of pacing calendar and portions to read, and it's sort of mapped out for the whole year. And I think that's helpful. I've done that many times. It's helpful to have organization. But I think what we often need more is not merely reforming our Bible reading schedule, but we're forming our approach to even reading the Bible in the first place. This is sadly what gets missed in our efforts to make a routine. At the end of each day or each morning, whenever you read your Bible, the question is not merely whether you can check a box because you met the quota of this amount of Scripture to read. I don't think God is mostly concerned about whether you kept your schedule on the Bible reading map. Like, it's not like you're reading and you're like, oh, I need to get Genesis 1 through 3 because tomorrow I need to get to 4 through 6. And what is God going to think if I don't get there? I mean, that's nice. And that's helpful. That kind of organization, that's why it's there. But whether you meet each day's assigned scripture reading is not the ultimate question of whether your Bible reading is significant for you. The question you need to answer each day when you read your Bible is whether you heard from the living God and what He had to say to you that day and how you respond to Him. It's not just reading. It's about hearing God. And that should be our mindset. If this is the living Word, something is off if we're not getting life from it just kind of reading it, and you go, hey, I'm finished. Check. And so the question is, do you casually approach Scripture as merely a book to read on your desk? That's that important book I have to read. Or do you reverently approach that reading time as an occasion to hear from God in your day? Is reading the Bible a spiritual experience for you? Is it living for you? Now, in saying this, I, I realize that what I'm describing does not come naturally to fallen human beings. 
We're not always feeling super spiritual and energized, and we're not always on some other level. I'm not advocating for that. It doesn't come naturally, so I'd like to give a few practical ways we can do this in our readings. What does it look like to interact with the living Word? How can we approach God's Word as alive? First of all, if you recall what I said in a prayer sermon last month, uh, you might remember that I said that prayer modifies everything we do in the Christian life. Uh, And so it's true of reading our Bible as well. The first thing I would say to someone who wants the Bible to come alive is, have you talked to God about it? As you open your Bible and you start your Bible reading, uh, ask God to speak to you in that time. Ask Him to speak to you in the words that are prepared. Uh, Don't just jump straight into the text like you would any other book. Uh, But do a quick examination. Uh, Ask the Spirit to illumine the words that you're about to read. Pray that God's Word would be clear to you. Uh, Pray that for God's help in opening your eyes to the truth. And then, another point I would say is, as you're reading the passage, um, but, you know, don't, don't try to do some mystical thing where you're trying to decode things and find what is it, where, is it, where do I need to find out what God said to me this day. I've, I've heard of weird ways that people read the Bible and they're looking for codes and weird angles. I think you just try to see what it means by what it says. And you pray for the Spirit to just point out things to you. You are studying something that someone wrote. If you received a letter in the mail from someone, you wouldn't read it and go, what are they trying to say by finding weird secret codes? Just what was the intent? What did they have in mind for me to understand? What do the words mean? Words have meaning. And God's words have meaning. And so the task you should have in reading is really to understand the words. Seek to understand the words. And that requires a little work. Uh, That requires a little more thought than casual reading. George Mueller cautioned people about merely going through the motion of reading the Bible without understanding it. Here's what he said. He said that the Word of God is food for the inner man, not the simple reading of the Word of God, so that it only passes through our minds just as water passes through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering it over, and applying it to our hearts, end quote. And so we, we need to read the Word with, with great consideration and thoughtfulness. I would even say if, if you can get to the end of your assigned reading because you're focused on one part that's jumping out at you, that's a successful reading. That's really what the key is. An exchange is happening in your soul between two, between you and God. And you're prayerfully reading the Word. Once you understand what you read, it's not just an academic exercise. There should be a spiritual enlivening experience because you're examining your heart and you're talking back to God about what you're reading. And where needed, you pray for God's help to apply it. I think really that's where Scripture reading becomes communion because it involves two, a two-way conversation. One is the objective Word of God. The other, how He applies it to our hearts and as we talk to Him about it. I'll flesh this out a little bit. If you learn something in the text as you're reading to interpret it, 
Don't just go, oh, that's fascinating, that's interesting. Consider a connection that God might be trying to make to your own life. How, can I, how does that apply to me? Or when you get a glimpse into God's character from a text, don't just go, that's interesting about God. Make it occasion to praise Him for that attribute. Perhaps worship Him that day in light of that truth as you meditate upon it. When a specific sin is brought up in Scripture, whether in a didactic portion or wisdom literature, or you see it in a narrative, you see sin revealed in Scripture, examine whether that sin is in your own life. It should prick you at times as you're reading Scripture to see sin and then use that as an occasion to bring it to God and confess it to Him. And if, it doesn't, if it's not something to confess, ask the Lord's help to guide you from falling into it. Or perhaps you see a duty that God is making you realize that you need to get better at, that you're seeing in Scripture, and you pray for His help with that. Perhaps you read a passage of Scripture and you feel encouragement and comfort from that passage. I don't just think that was a nice thing I read to make me feel better. I think of that as words from the living God. God gave you a word of comfort. God wrapped you up and encouraged you and wants you to feel the warmth of His love for you. Augustine once said, the Scriptures are love letters from home. Do we read the Bible that way? I think that's where it becomes living. Reading your Bible like the living God is speaking to you will change your days and change your life. And as you plan ahead to your future Bible readings, go into those times prayerfully and expectantly that God has something to say to you. So that's the first point being made. Don't disregard the Word of God because it is living. It's relevant. It applies. He has something to say to you. Go into it asking God, what is it you're saying to me? As though it were appeal from God Himself. Secondly, in our verse, not only is the Word of God living, the second point, I'm just taking this straight from the text, The Word of God is active. The Word of God is active. The Word of God is living. Next, the Word of God is active. This is an interesting one. This implies that the Bible, even though it's just sitting there on your shelf, that Bible you're looking at has been very busy for thousands of years. It's not an idle book, it's not passive. But it's not waiting for others to take it and make it do its work. It's actually the opposite. The Word of God acts upon people and then accomplishes the work of God. The Word is the active participant. And the word active in the text has the idea of being energetic and effective and carrying out an intended result. So you might ask, uh, what is it that the Word of God is active to do? What's it doing? What does this living Word do? And there's a a very long list. I'm just going to give a list of a few that Scripture gives and just cite those Scriptures for you. There are many things that Scripture is up to, so to speak. 
Scripture is very dynamic in its activity. Here's a quick list just from Scripture itself. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, Scripture makes one wise for salvation. So people are getting saved because the Word is doing its work. Verse 16 of that same passage says that all Scripture is inspired and profitable for teaching and for rebuking and correcting and training us in righteousness. It says it equips God's people for every good work. Acts 20, verse 32, says that the Word is able to build us up. John 17, 17, Jesus prays to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. And so the Word is busy sanctifying people, making them holy like Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 2 tells us to long for the pure milk of the Word that we may grow by it. So all spiritual growth happens because the Word causes us to grow. And on and on. Psalm 19, which is you can jot it down and look it up later. It's probably the most comprehensive list of what the Word does. It gives a long, thorough list of its effects upon God's people. How it revives the soul. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It's like honey and it, and it brings sweet satisfaction. And on and on, There's a list of functions that God's Word is doing. It's a busy book. It's dynamic. And it's on the move. It doesn't take any time off. And it's been doing this a long time. And and this really should give us another special reverence for what we have. Have you ever read the Bible and thought, so many others have read these same verses in the 1800s, in the 1600s? in the 600s, before that. I don't know about you, that that greatly encourages me that this book is powerful. That it's done so much for people all around the world and all across redemptive history. These same pages that we have have been preserved and have done a a major work of activity. Saving millions of souls. Changing so many lives. Purifying so many different local churches. It's brought mighty movements of revival. And you get to have a copy. I think we lose a sense of the privilege of sacred Scripture. There's a sense in which you and I should brace ourselves when we're about to read it. What does God have for me in this book? Because this same active book, which has been changing lives for millennia, will be active upon us. What's it going to do to me when I read it? Isaiah 55.11 So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Another translation says, it will not return to me vain. The Word of God is living. And the Word of God is active. If you want to see the Word of God active in your life, go to the Word expectant and pray for it to work in you. 
What a resource we have in God's Word. There's a third thing that he mentions, and this is really the rest of the verse. Having mentioned that it's living and it's active, that would be enough to get our attention that we need to listen and read this Word. But he continues on and says, the Word of God is penetrating. The Word of God is penetrating. I think that sort of sums up what he's got here. And it's admittedly more metaphorical as he uses a sword to describe it. But I think the objective becomes clear as you read it. Look at how the verse continues. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This metaphor you might recognize is the same one used for the word in Ephesians 6 for spiritual warfare, a sword. And we see that Scripture likes to use this metaphor for the word of God because Scripture wants to emphasize Scripture is sharp. And it does sort of a work of destruction before it restores. And this is where we get the idea that it is penetrating in this verse. Because a sword is sharp and cuts deep to the bone. And we'll see this as the the passage describes it. Let's take a look at it. First of all, a two-edged sword. What is that? Um, Swords could have been two ways in the ancient world and the modern world as well. A two-edged sword has two edges that are both razor sharp. And so think about that for thrusting and penetrating through armor. Um, The opposite would be a one-edged sword, which was flat and dull on one side and super sharp on the other. It would be more for lashing, swinging your sword. And so you really can only do damage with one side. Scripture is described as a two-edged sword, and the indication is there's no blunt side to it. There's no flat part of God's Word. There's no portion of it that doesn't penetrate into a person's soul. All of it is capable of doing the work of piercing. All of it can penetrate us. So what does that mean? Because this is a metaphor and it's not literally puncturing us. But what does it mean for our soul that the Word pierces and that all of the Word is sharp? I think it has in mind that the Word of God penetrates through any facade we might have. It cuts deep like nothing else can cut deep. It gets to the very core of our being. When you read it or when you hear it, even if you don't act like it, there is a conviction that happens in the sinner and in every person when they hear God's Word because it exposes the person. It penetrates through our self-righteousness. Even if we thought we were good in an area, Scripture can show us we actually fall short. It penetrates through our hardened heart like a sword can pierce through calluses. And the idea is that it's living and active and it gets to that core of our being. It says here it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. I think this is actually a combination of of spiritual language and physical language to make a point. Um, It's figurative. There's some who have spent a lot of time trying to glean out uh, different meanings of these terms and 
trying to come up with even a theology for it, like are soul and spirit different? And, I, and there's a whole set of discussions about that. I'm going to take more of a holistic approach here and say those things could be true, but I think we get the main point of what it's saying. What's being communicated here is that this wound that goes to the bone in the metaphor describes how the Word of God gets to the very spiritual core of our being. And it can separate uh, spirit and soul. It can separate what is merely the flesh and what is actually spiritual about us. And it divides us that way. And in doing so, it's painful. It hurts. And that's where the metaphor of cutting open and dividing is truly fitting here. Because you might come to the Word not aware of how it was going to get you in that spot. You might suppose you're doing quite well in some area of the Christian life or in some ideas you have about God, and you come to Scripture and it pierces through that. It exposes what's long been hidden. It continues by by saying it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No other book written by man can do this. No person that you listen to, no matter how inspiring or how interesting or insightful they are, no one else can cut to the core of a person's spiritual being like Scripture. Those can only go skin deep. In fact, many times we gravitate toward other voices that sort of massage us and make us feel affirmed in how we're doing. But Scripture is two-edged. Another function of a two-edged sword was that the opponent couldn't grab any side of it. A one-edged sword, they can grab it if they can in the grappling. You can't grab a hold of the Word of God and stop it from doing its work. It's going to win over that facade you have, the defenses in your heart. And it pierces through every dimension of your being. Every dimension of the heart. Your inner desires, it exposes. Whatever your actions are, even righteous biblical ones, it can expose the motives behind it and make you realize where the flesh is. Every selfish ambition, every sinful desire, every set of unbelief you might have. It can topple over idols that you've been harboring in your heart that you didn't know were there. It exposes everything. It exposes even the things we want to suppress and it brings it to light. This is what the Bible does. It it penetrates to the core. And it's actually an irony in describing the Word this way. And the irony is when you read the Word, you think you're reading the Word and it ends up reading you. The Word reads you like a book. And when the Word of God penetrates us, it's painful because it's so convicting. But this needs to happen because the Word also is in a work of restoring. The Word is going to help us and lead us to God's rest. It's going to make us more like Christ. It's going to chisel away to make us the image He's making us. And it hurts. But those who mourn will be comforted. 
There's godly sorrow, but it leads to repentance and further sanctification. And I want you to think about this in your Christian life. You're never going to get to a time when you finally arrived. Sometimes we think that if I just get to this point, or like this person, or this Christian, or this virtue, I'll be like close to entering heaven. It'll just be like a step into heaven. Uh, Really, we always fall way short of where we're going to be glorified to be. Way short of Christ. And the Word brings us back to reality. And really, the more you're sanctified, yes, sin might decrease in your life, but you also see how bad sin really is. And so the more sanctified you are, the more you see sin as, as grievous as it is, as heinous as it is, as painful as it is. And the Word does this. And it's a gracious work of the Holy Spirit. John Piper says this, The Word pierces, and there is pain, but for those who trust in the living Word, Jesus Christ, all the piercing will be pleasant in the end. The boil will be lanced. The cancer cut out. The poison removed. For those who trust the severe mercy of Jesus, all piercing is healing. End quote. So this is what God does through the living and active Word. He, he penetrates And there's another indication here in context, and it is that this sword that functions as an instrument, as a surgical instrument to help us, if we refuse it, it will be the instrument of judgment against us. And this verse really has a judgment sort of tone to it. And the idea is, in the next verse, it says, everything is hidden and open to His sight, and as it gets to the core of our being, there's no hiding from Him. But we are left naked and open to Him with whom we have to give an account. On the day of judgment, the Word will be the mirror to show us where we fell short, what we refused. And the more light we were given, to that we will be judged. Just like those of old, we will be judged according to the light given to us. You will be judged according to the measure that you were exposed to the truth of God's words as He was speaking to you. And as you saw your need and how you responded will be weighed. So the call here is to soften your heart. That as you go to Scripture, as you go to the Word, you're going to hear from God because you want to see what it reveals in you and about God and about the world and all things it reveals, and of course, ultimately, who it reveals, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope this inspires you to read the Bible as hearing from your Father each day. And I'd like to close with just a few words of application as sort of guidelines for how you can read the living and active and penetrating Word of God. Uh, Three guidelines to sort of keep in mind when you're reading the Bible. And these aren't really, I mean, I thought of them, but I think any Bible teacher would say each of these as well. They're just tried and true. Number one, as you look forward, perhaps in the new year, have a routine for being in the Word. Have a routine 
for being in the Word. If it really is what we just described, the living and active and penetrating Word from the living God, and that's how God is doing all this activity, wouldn't it make sense that it's a regular thing in our lives? If God gave you an invitation to meet with Him and talk to you, and He said, anytime you want, and you said, Thursdays. <laughs> that would be an odd thing. How about every day? How about whenever you could? So have a routine. Well, we have busy lives. We have a lot of responsibilities other than reading the Bible. Uh, so have a set time that you can meet with God. And I'm just going to say this is sort of extra biblical. There's no prescribed time. I think that mornings make sense at the beginning of your day before you go out to battle in the world. You want to have your mind renewed, and many choice saints have done that. But I've known saints who say that they meet with God in the Word on their lunch breaks. Or they meet with God. I know one guy who's a night owl, and he says that at night, that's when he really can get in the Word. And that's fine. Uh, The issue is not the time of day. The issue is, are you meeting with God? Are you meeting with God? We're all wired differently. We have different kinds of schedules. But we must remember that lost time with our Bibles is lost time to meet with God and hear from Him. I remember Sinclair Ferguson once saying, don't even let a speck of dust keep you from fellowship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, To the wind with any excuses. God is speaking. We need to Find a time and a place, a sanctuary to listen. Number two, in addition to having a routine, I want to just say, have a plan to go through the whole Word. It's a big Bible. 66 books. And all of it is God's Word. Like we said, it's a two-edged sword. All of it is relevant. And this could be done through a pre-made Bible plan to follow, or you could devise it yourself. But we should get through the whole Bible, and hopefully more than once throughout the course of our lives, if we can. Genesis through Revelation is the Word of God. And sometimes there's a tendency to treat the 66 books as more like a menu. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like the Psalms right now. The Psalms is where I'm at. And uh, what's next in my Scripture reading? I think I'm going to go for Philippians. I, I'm feeling Philippians. And that, that's, there's a time to maybe gravitate toward things in a season of life, but uh, I think God would have us have the whole counsel of God as our regular diet. And that forces us from picking and choosing based on our comfort level. Perhaps God has things to say where you don't expect it. So make a plan to get through the whole Bible, Genesis through Revelation, be a whole Bible Christian. And just as a practical, there's all kinds of plans. If a plan helps you, um, there are all kinds. You can uh, Google and find all kinds online. Ligonier Ministries, um, the ministry of the late R.C. Sproul, has a, a page right now, every year they do this, called Bible Reading Plans for 2024. You could see a list of like 10 or 15 Bible reading plans, and they're all very different. I personally like to choose one that has a portion of Old Testament and a portion of New Testament every day, just sort of. I have a balance of both of those. But you can go in and look that up. There's a lot of them out there. Or perhaps you have your own. But that was just my word. Just be a a whole Bible Christian. 
Because God has a lot to say in every verse. Last guideline, have a routine. Read the whole Bible. Last one, as an application, um, go from being a reader of Scripture to a student of Scripture. And this one is more of a challenge. Um, A brand new Christian should just read the Bible. I wouldn't hand them an expositional commentary that goes in-depth with the Greek and stuff if they were a new Christian. I would just tell them, you need to just read. Get a lay of the land. Read from beginning to end. Get familiar with the Gospels and the Epistles and what the Christian life is, who God is. There's a time to just read Scripture on a very superficial level just to get the broad scope. But eventually, as we mature, we should be getting the meat of Scripture. And as we delve deep into Scripture, we get more out of what it has for us and what God has to say to us. And so I'd like to just sort of exhort us to not just save the heavy-duty study of Scripture for just those who preach the Word or those who are theologians. Uh, God has given His Word to the whole priesthood of believers. And we can all study and dig deeper. And why wouldn't we if God is speaking? I had a professor who said, uh, shorter and in depth is better than longer and in breadth. That means if your scripture reading was just a couple verses of delving deep and looking at the text, kind of like we did with this verse, that could be the way God speaks to you. And you can get a lot out of that over time, over the course of years. Overall, in all your Bible reading, Remember that the key isn't to become scholars and just grow in knowledge. It's to hear the Lord's living and active and penetrating voice into your life. He's revealed it in this holy book. And He's written it to us. I think the point that the Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, is making in describing these features of the Word, that it's living and it's active and it penetrates, the point he's making is how great and how powerful this Word is and what you miss out on if you refuse it. It should produce humility to come before this Word and reverence, even excitement, to give our attention and our lives to its study. Because God is speaking. I'll close by reading a final statement concerning this word we possess. You've probably seen it if you've been in a hotel maybe because it's usually on the front of every Gideon Bible. It's from the Gideon Institute. I'm sorry, Gideon's International. And it just sort of describes in summary form the greatness of this book we possess. And I'll I'll read it and then that could be our sort of charge as we think about reading the word this year. Here's what it says. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. And practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. 
Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object, our good is its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given you in life and will be opened in the judgment and will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Let's pray. Father, the magnitude of what you've revealed to us in the Word, we are humbled and we pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. We pray that as we look to 2024 and the days ahead, that we would be even more resolved to meet with you and to hear from you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us as your children. We pray that you would speak to this church as we continually go through your word. And may we go through our word in private. And may we be moved, O Lord, to even proclaim and share it with others. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We thank you and praise you and pray that you would bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.